As an entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur, how can you ensure the success of your business and your quality of life? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. This program will help you to identify and make necessary changes in your life and your business. You'll find the challenges that you're facing and solutions in the examples of lifelong business owners who have entrepreneurship in their DNA. You'll also learn from experts who've transformed their mindset and skills to become industry leaders. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi. I'm excited to be joined today by Frank Cottle, the chairman and CEO of Alliance Business Centers Group, which is a global network of premium virtual office space and services that operates in 52 countries. Frank, welcome to the show. Thank you, Hamda. It's a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate your joining me to share your expertise as an entrepreneur and also as a recognized expert in the business center, executive suite, and virtual office industries. You've covered a lot of territory, Frank. (laughs) Well, sometimes people say a little too much. Well, it's impressive. And along those lines, I'd love to talk a little bit about your evolution as an entrepreneur. And I think this offers a really excellent frame of reference for other entrepreneurs who are listening in and business owners and those who are aspiring to be entrepreneurs. When we talked before the show, you told me that you have entrepreneurship in your DNA, that your father was a serial entrepreneur, and you have always been self-employed. That's that's correct. Um, I was fortunate in my family as I grew up. In fact, our family actually comes from the ranching and farming sector here in California. We're an old, uh, old California family, and people don't think of ranchers as farmers as being particularly entrepreneurial. But uh, if you're going to stay in business for multiple generations, trust me, you, you have to be. So I grew up with my father as a, probably the most important mentor in my life on a number of bases, helping me to understand that you have to be productive every day and create, or you really don't have a good reason for existing. It's bred into me from a very early age. Farming and ranching are extraordinarily hard work that require early hours. What else is it about having grown up with the sensibility that's required to be successful in farming and ranching, do you think, set the stage for you to develop as an entrepreneur? There's an old saying in in the farming industry that you're, you're, you're better off lucky than smart. Because there are so many variables involved. And I think that plays true to all entrepreneurialism as well. You can't think of them all. Uh, You can't uh, know what's going to happen in the future. So you have to be a little bit lucky. And the key element to being smart, I guess, is not that you're going to make all the right decisions, but to learn how to make decisions. Uh, Have a process by which you make all of your decisions and, and to let the good ones run long. And most importantly, to cut the bad one short. Don't, don't sit on a bad decision. Don't try and make something that's not working. Don't struggle to, to make it work. Make a change. Make a new decision. Make a new decision uh, to reverse whatever's going on. Uh, I think that's critically important. Frank, how did that play out for you as an illustration in the different permutations that you've had as you've evolved your business over time? Well, I've learned of the importance of that by failing to shut it, to cut some of those decisions short a few times. 
by sticking at something because I wanted to rather than because I knew it was necessarily the best thing. And as I've matured, I've learned more and more how to cut those decisions short. And I've seen our business progress as a result. Since you've been an entrepreneur for a long time, it's where you started in your career. What are the different businesses that you've had and how do they evolve into the next business and to where you are today? I've grown up on the ocean in Newport Beach, uh, mostly, and I've always loved being around the water. So my very first independent job career uh, was as a commercial diving. started a, a small yacht maintenance and diving company. As I was going through college, 19 years old or so, and evolved that, uh, we had a successful business experience in that. And when I got married, I made a change into the yacht brokerage business couple of reasons. The work I was doing as a diver was uh, considered dangerous and getting married, I didn't think that was a good idea. And uh, so I started in the yachting industry and, and continued in that industry for close to 10 years, succeeded. Uh, we were the time that I exited uh, uh, the largest yacht brokerage in the world. And it wasn't due to my own efforts so much as the team that was created. It was a, a fabulous team. Uh, and we had a very generous patron that helped everybody. But what happened to me in the yachting industry, I was sitting in the office one day, listening to one of the other fellows make a pitch. And it was kind of a whiny pitch, you know, something you just rolled your eyes and said, oh, I can't believe that's happening. And at that moment, I had this simple epiphany that uh, said, hey, Frank, you'll never be an owner as long as you're a broker. And so I had to change industries. I had to move out of the brokerage style of business and go into the building style of business. And that's what took me into our current business and industry today. We started as a property company for the first 10 years, between 80 and 90, building buildings and developing business centers within those buildings. We did that across California, Arizona, and Texas. In 1990, we sold that portfolio. It was a partnership, and that was a goal, was to hold the properties for 10 years and then sell them. We did and joined two other partners in the building of classic business centers where we would lease a full floor from a major landmark property and subdivide the floor and establish a business center, what today is called a serviced office or a co-working center. And we built a, a number of those all across North America, quite a number, 195 facilities. I didn't like the business model, though, and there's one thing that bothered me in the business model, and I'm, I'm kind of an analyst uh, from that perspective. I didn't like the valuation of the business model because we were leasing space long-term at a very high cost, uh, oftentimes, and then at the end of 10 years, when our lease was up, we had to renegotiate, but we were renting short-term to our clients. So we had 10-year leases as a liability, but on average, one-year leases as a revenue stream. And so the balance sheet structure of that company model, that business model didn't work. So in the late 90s, I decided I would rather own the customer than own the centers. So we began the current iteration of our company today in 2001, and that's to build a inventory base through our Alliance Network company. Today, we have 700 locations in 52 countries, about 15 million square feet of commercial space that we have access to. We don't own those centers, though. Uh, they're part of a network-style company, or a, think of it as a poor man's franchise. 
that gave me inventory to sell. And then we started a technology company, Alliance Virtual Offices, to own the customer and then use our own network facilities to service our us and our customer for us. Very much uh, like the model that Expedia came up with in the hotel industry. We were very parallel to companies like Expedia at that time, their uh, early 2000s. And so today, we this is a, a big part of what we do. And the benefit of that is uh, we're a software company, so we have a better business model and valuation. But the true benefit is we can help a client company. Gosh, Amda, if you wanted to open uh, offices in 10 countries, in 10 cities, in using 10 different currencies and do it all in 10 minutes, we can do that for you. We created a flexibility and we invented, if you will, flexibility in the real estate world that matches a lot of things that go on in the uh, travel world. And that flexibility is paramount to entrepreneurial companies as they grow. If you think about it today, almost every company is an international company. If you and myself and one other person formed a company, most likely we'd be doing business internationally. We'd have an offshore supplier of something. Could be technology, could be hardware, could be a product, a manufactured product. And we probably have an offshore client somewhere, even if we have a very small company. So giving entrepreneurial companies uh, flexibility to do business anywhere in the world in real time on an as-needed basis has become quite a large business model. And today, our industry is growing around 10 to 12% a year, which is phenomenal growth. Though We've been growing at that pace since about 2008 or 9, uh, right out of the last recession. That's faster growth than the PC and the chip industry did in the middle of the dot-com era. So people are really seeking flexibility as a new way to work at all levels, not just entrepreneurial companies, but government, the global fortune 1000, all legal and accounting and financial services professionals. The entire cross-section of the workplace is changing. That's a really impressive evolution, Frank, because it sounds like not only are, are you on the pulse of what's needed now and moving forward also where the growth areas are, it seems that you're also offering your business acumen to your clients. You're helping them to understand and to design solutions around a very current business model that's going to serve them financially. Well, we, we hope so. And I think part of our evolution that's helped us to do that is we're very much industry activists as well. We not only manage our company, but we also manage uh, the industry's largest news and information resource that helps our industry to grow at large, uh, including all of our major competitors, which we think is a good thing, not a bad thing. We manage the industry's largest uh, charitable foundation on a global basis, uh, as well as uh, we're a partner in the management of the industry's meetings and convention platform to bring everybody together. So in some regards, you could say that in addition to our core companies, we are the voice of the industry, we are the unity of the industry, and we give the industry a higher purpose. So entrepreneurialism isn't just about building a successful company. It's about being a participant and helping your industry uh, and those around you succeed as well. So looking a little bit more in depth at this business model that you have that is about elevating your industry which is such 
a wonderful example to offer because it's also a financially successful model. When we take a look at what are the components of a model that stands the test of time, that's flexible enough to adapt to changes, I'd love to zero in a little bit more because we talked about your parent company, Alliance Business Centers Group, and then within that you have your products and services I'm going to offer some links actually now so people can dig a little bit deeper. So we have alliancevirtualoffices.com, right, where your theme, so to speak, is bringing people, place, and technology together in a bundled product. Correct. Right, and you have office space around the world, including meetings, meeting rooms, and also services like a live receptionist and technology like specific telephony systems and security and firewall. So that's one component. Is there anything that you would add or clarify around that? Well, I, I, I think if, if you look at taking people, place, and technology and bundling to them together as a single product, as a service product, that's good enough. But the capacity to deliver that product with a highly flexible service agreement is really what adds quite a bit of value. All companies of any size, whether it's their first day or, or their, their giant uh, global organization, all companies need really three things. They need access to capital so they can grow. They need an ever-expanding customer base to demonstrate that growth. And they need flexibility for change. And in the past, a lot of companies have had access to capital uh, and they've built large customer bases, but very seldom have they had true flexibility in their own business model to combine all the elements they need for growth, which is people, place, and technology. And so we think the flexibility factor is a key element to what we've brought in the design of our products. Right. So that's one of the ways that you're able to meet the needs that exist in our current business world and help people to broaden their own perspective also about how they can practice their business. Correct. And so we talked about the service as a product that you offer, and then you talked a little bit about the educational piece, and the the site reference I want to offer is allwork.space, in which you provide news and information about industry trends within the business center, executive suite, and virtual office space industries, and you also talked about creating the industry's largest convention platform in which you conduct meetings around the world. Would you talk a little Uh, bit more about that? Well, it's it's really important, yes. I I, I can. It's really important to recognize that an industry is uh, many components. It's not just, in our industry, the serviced office or co-working center operators. We have to also include all of the service companies that we have to buy things from, telephony companies, bandwidth companies, uh, et cetera, even things as mundane as office supplies and furniture. We have to include all the property companies that we get space from. Uh, Without the the facilities uh, from which to operate, obviously we couldn't be in business. Most importantly, we have to include the customer as part of our industry. And, And most people don't necessarily think of the customer as an active part of their industry or their business, but they really are. They're, they, they could be the most important part. So by hosting industry-based meetings all over the world, this year we will have hosted meetings in Los Angeles, Vancouver, Taipei, 
Singapore, Shanghai, and one other. I'm forgetting <laughs> too much travel lately. Uh, next year, we've, we're slated to start off the year in Dubai and then be in London and then be in Chicago, etc. cetera. Uh, so, oh, the, the one I'm missing is we did one in Sao Paulo in the, in the winter in Brazil. So by basically educating our industry and the customer base and the service uh, supplier base in our industry and, and pulling everybody together in a unified manner, you, you really have the ability to create better products and have a more consistent industry brand, if you will. And we think that that's, that's critically important. That makes sense because you need to be able to have as an active process connecting with people in order to make sure that your business is running as well as it can and that you're, you have that feedback loop that's a consistent process. Uh, absolutely. And I think one of the things our industry has done that's revolutionary, not just evolutionary, but revolutionary, is we're one of the first industries, I, I believe, going back to the 90s, that really looked at our customers, not as customers, but of members within a community and worked to cause not just us to provide services to the members, but to the members themselves to interact amongst each other as part of an overall community in order to drive the business growth of our customer base itself, not on our behalf, but on their behalf. And that's a very revolutionary concept that I think our industry has successfully pioneered and now you see all these wonderful things about the sharing economy and this and, and, and that. Uh, and from a practical point of view, I won't say we invented it, but we were definitely one of the progenitors of that concept in practice going back into the 90s even. And I think that that's a, an important foundation. That also responds to some of the needs and the trends that you're seeing because you, you talked about a variety of them that offer really good insights for entrepreneurs nowadays as they're refining their own business models, is taking a look at, it's almost like a perspective that your, your customer is one of your partners, your uh, customer is one of your business partners. That's ab absolutely right. They, they are a partner in our business, and they have to be seen that way. You know, so many companies used to say, oh, we're going to hire a marketing company, and they're going to create a focus group, and we're going to ask these people a bunch of questions, and we'll know what to do. And that's good, I guess. It's certainly good for the marketing companies. But uh, from a practical point of view, you need to be engaged with your customers daily, filtering their comments and filtering their needs daily. Otherwise, uh, a focus group just tells you what they need after the fact. This is something that, that you need to be involved with and, and, and have it part of your, your ongoing process. And otherwise, you're too much of a reactive industry. You're not co-building things. You're reacting to something and then trying to fill a gap. And that's not a way to stay in a leadership position. You also seem to be responding to a value around attending to the best interests of your clients. That, that's absolute. Uh, we have a philosophy that we've had for decades. It's the, the foundation from which we, as a company, have made all of our decisions for, we've been in business 38 years, and that philosophy is member first. Member first. If we make a decision at our board level or at, at an executive level or even 
if a CSR or a salesperson is making a decision, then it has to be made on the foundation of member first. What's best for the member? And if we always make our decisions based on that foundation, then we'll always be making decisions that will help us grow in the future. That's our, our issue. The other thing that we do is we, we tell each new person when they, they join our, our organization that there's only one thing that'll get them fired, and that's to not make decisions. So we want everyone and we empower everyone in our company as a decision maker. If they make a wrong decision, we'll fix it. We'll stand behind it and we'll fix it. And we'll consider that a learning experience. But if they make no decision, then they're setting our company up for failure and they're not helping the member first. So we think that those are key elements to the growth of our own company and and really key elements to the growth of any company. So it's not just decision-making at the top, it's throughout the organization that you empower people to ensure that the aspects that they're really honing in on in their work that might be more micro than what you're managing, that all of that is moving forward. That, that is correct. I just want to review some of the needs and trends that you were referring to really in the way that you manage the business and the services, the needs you're able to meet. One had to do with the helping your customers to be adaptable. And in a sense, through your business, they're able to scale up or down depending on the growth stage they're in, depending on changing budgets and other factors through the use of flexible resources. And they only pay for what they use, right? So that's relevant for small companies. And it's also relevant even for the larger organizations that you're working with, like the government. Uh, Yes. The government is a major client within our industry. Global Fortune companies are all large listed companies are major clients within our industry. As as we come downstream in size, legal, accounting, financial services professionals were actually, uh, as our industry began, were one of the major foundational groups within our industry. And uh, then uh, branch offices, uh, media companies, et cetera, and startups. Are, are also elemental. So we, we serve the in, entire spectrum of business on a global basis. So that's interesting because, right, you talk about flexibility, it applies to any business no matter what size. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And we believe strongly that uh, by providing that flexibility, we do help our companies to grow their own business. And by creating a larger base business community, we particularly help the entrepreneurial companies, the startups, uh, and a lot of companies of all sizes to help their business growth through the establishment of a, of a strong community. You know, trends in business today are, are moving very, very rapidly. Gig economy, offshoring, globalization. Uh, there'll be 1.6 billion people by the end of this year that are mobile workers. 1.6 billion people. That's a pretty big population of mobile workers. So we have to build systems and, and service structures that can accommodate that. And a good example is if, if you looked at any large corporation, let's say a global Fortune 1000 company, uh, and you looked at their, uh, their annual report five years ago, it would have said they make a certain amount of revenue and had a certain amount of profit. They had 300,000 employees worldwide. 
Today, if you look at that same annual report, it'll say something like, we have a certain amount of revenue and a certain amount of profit, and we have a workforce of 300,000 employees. And that might be lost. The simple difference between employees and a workforce is huge, though, because five years ago or 10 years ago, uh, those employees were all pure employees. Today, 20, 30, 40 percent of the of the workforce within a company are contractors. And those contractors need even more flexibility than the large corporation. The, the, the large corporation has hired contractors to gain flexibility in an employment model and possibly for offshoring purposes. But the contractors themselves then need to have an option that says, hey, you know, I'm, I have a one-year contract. Maybe there's five of us on my team. We have a one-year contract to build a piece of software for a major company or to do a project, and then we're done. Well, they can't take a 10-year lease. They can't hire clerical, secretarial, or administrative support. I mean, what receptionist or, or secretary or administrative person is going to go to work if you say, hey, here's the deal. At the end of the year, I'm probably going to fire you. Nobody. So everybody's needs more and more flexibility, and this is only going to increase in the future. And our business model is designed to give companies that capability. Right. And just to recap a little, some of what you're saying, too, is you were talking about, of course, the movement in terms of hiring contract work as a larger percentage of an employer's workforce. And you had mentioned one of the values that you bring is to create a community environment that can lead to business development opportunities. And also, though, there's another component, which is a quality of life component that's becoming more and more critical all over the world, which is that there's also a social aspect to the work in a sense when you have these community environments in which people can interact and share ideas and maybe exchange resources as well. Absolutely, that's right. And I think the social aspect, you know, a current uh, millennial generation, if you read any of the research, uh, you know, there's all sorts of value shifts going on. And it's not just in, in North America, it's all over the world. People are wanting you know, different things, and every generation does, and, and every generation should. They should build on the shoulders of those that came before them, but they, they should seek change and they should seek new adjustments in, in order to have a constant improvement. Um, so there's a lot of value changes going on right now all over the world, and a lot of it is based on the particular economy or country that you're in. In some countries, the value changes are political, and other companies, they're moving from a survival to a more vibrant economy. In some com countries, their uh, lifestyle changes because they already have a successful economy, and now they want to lead their lives differently. But those value changes are going on all over, and corporations that are global companies uh, or even the smallest entrepreneurial company have to look at their own marketplace and recognize those changes and use those changes to advance themselves and not necessarily fight against them. As hard as change is, change is good. And you offer the kind of framework and guidance that helps people along those lines, right? When you talked about the importance of building a really strong team, which you realized and put in place early on in your entrepreneurial career. And so in the same vein, though, 
it sounds like you're helping entrepreneurs, startups, businesses of different sizes to put together a plan that's going to help them with easing some of the pains of the change process. Yeah, I I think so. There's the basic business things of just in time, whether it's real estate and services or whether it's uh, just in time inventory in a manufacturing process. Just in time is is a good thing. But sometimes when you've got things that are uh, in real time, you don't really have the strength of much of a support system around you. Everything just comes and goes and comes and goes. And I think the beauty of what our industry is doing today is that development of community, not just within the individual center locations, which generally host and house 150 to 200 different businesses, Uh, but to an overall industry level as well. And the beauty of community is that I can go into a a serviced office center or a co-working center anywhere in the world, and pretty quickly, rather than being just having office space in a building somewhere where I walk into the building, nod to the doorman, go up the elevator, walk in through my private door, and then I isolate myself. In our industry, People aren't isolated. They're, they're part of, a, again, an activist community. So the people you meet, the social responsibility that might uh, be part of what the center is, that you, where you're located is, is considering. Uh, they might be a participant in our own foundation or, or other charitable activities. Um, you might be a solopreneur or you might be a contractor for a large company, but you're going to find a lot of other people that are in that same vein and an organizational structure that helps you to interact with those people. And a lot of businesses developed out of our industry. I might be an app developer and I go into a center and I happen to have a workspace next to a graphic artist who happens to be sitting next to a really great coder who happens to be sitting next to somebody that's amazing at marketing, et cetera. And all of a sudden I have the foundation just by my community neighbors of actually building a company. And so it's that interaction and that the freedom of open working that is really spawning a lot of development, a lot of entrepreneurial activity these days. And that's certainly a challenge that a lot of entrepreneurs face is finding the resources that are really compatible for their business and also the resources that actually will produce results. And when you have a chance to get to know someone over time, learn a little bit more about them, see if you're compatible interpersonally build trust, and find out about some of their results, then that helps with the whole due diligence so that you don't step into a situation that then you have to redirect and find other resources. No, that, that, that's really it. And maybe this is a bad analogy, but think of dating for just a minute when you're trying to find a partner. The singles bar scene has pretty much gone away, but that used to be a primary way by which you met people. Not the greatest example in the world, but it was it was something that that uh, you know was, was pretty prevalent. And look at that by comparison to social media today. Social media is ten times, a million times more powerful for creating relationships and meeting people uh, at all levels, not just at a dating level. And you could say that a, a co-working center, a business center, really is very much the physical manifestation of social media, where people come in to a community, just like you might go into a Facebook community. They come into a physical community. Instead of posting on each other's sites, they go to lunch or they meet each other. They have activities together, learning activities. Many centers of our centers and and all throughout the industry sponsor uh, any variety of educational activities on finance, on legal issues, 
on human resources issues within the center themselves, just as part of the, the business model overall. So it, it really becomes, like I say, a physical manifestation of what we were doing technologically, and that is so much more powerful. But what if all of your Facebook friends were actually real friends, right? It's a lot more powerful. Right. So there's the inherent framework for professional development to happen as people learn from one another. There's that and also the the framework for centers to bring in professional subject matter experts, accountants, attorneys, uh, finance experts, etc., depending on the profile of their community to help educate community members at large, particularly if their community is based on a lot of startup activities. And you're describing enormous value that's built into the experience. So some of the gaps that entrepreneurs talk about also are, depending on what their work setup is, if they're doing a lot of virtual work, then they're really missing that experience of community. And they have to work hard to create these structures for building community, for developing as professionals. In a sense, you're giving them all of that in one product. And that ties into the benefit of operational efficiencies. Absolutely right. And, you know, today we're all on a path to try and accelerate things. And uh, if you can accelerate your learning curve and go back to what we were discussing initially, learn to make decisions better because you have more input and learn to make them faster because you have more resources, well, you're going to be better at everything that you do. And one thing we didn't talk about, too, in terms of operational efficiencies, which I know is a big value add in the business that you're offering is that you're relieving people, as you talked about with me before the show, of the people management piece to some extent, or sometimes to a complete extent in terms of providing clerical or other administrative staffing so that entrepreneurs or businesses don't have to worry about hiring, firing, training, sick days. Yeah, a good example of that is one of the major customers to our company uh, and our industry, but specifically our company, are uh, investment companies, venture capital companies, if you will. Think about it. If you're a venture capitalist and you want to invest a million dollars into a startup, do you really want that startup team worrying about office furniture, about leasing space, about what kind of lighting to put in or if the air conditioning is working or do you want an entrepreneur worrying about it? human resources issues, uh, hiring a receptionist, clerical, secretarial, uh, support staff. Do you want that team having to pay 24-7 for conference rooms that they maybe only use once a day for an hour? No, uh, you, you don't. You want them focusing on their core business. So if you look at it from an investor's point of view and say, I'm going to invest a million dollars in this company, and one of the ways I can make my million dollars go further is to have that company focused on its core business and not focused on a a bunch of administrative issues and costs of running the business or running the office, if you will. That's incredibly dilutive of time, very stressful uh, sometimes, because most of the entrepreneurial community is a little bit out of their depth. They aren't up on the latest HR issues necessarily. There may be a a brilliant uh, technician but they might not be up on the latest HR issues in their state, or heaven forbid if they have to go offshore. Do you know what the hiring practices are in the Netherlands? Great place to do business. 
but do you know what the practices are there? So if you don't, then the, the learning curve, the time it takes away from your core business is su- substantial. So we give people not just flexibility, but we allow them to focus on the right things. And there's an old adage in our business is you run your company, we'll run your office. It's been around for 35 or 40 years, we've been saying that. And it's very, very true. And there's a tremendous value creation in that process. I thought you also framed it in a way that really hits home, Frank, when you were talking about the time savings and specifically also the mental wear and tear savings that this type of service offers. Well, you know, managing people is is about the most challenging thing there is in business. And if we can provide a, a service support structure that's permanent, I would say our, our structure is more permanent uh, than our clients uh, even. As, as they incubate and grow through our process, many of them incubate and out, outgrow our service support structure. And that's a good thing. We consider that to be a success, not the loss of a client, but the, the, the proof of success of our system. Uh, on an incubation basis. So if we can provide a more stable environment, even than those companies themselves, I think that's a testimony to the success of helping them to grow their business while we're managing a lot of the activities that they would normally have to pay attention to. I also want to bring out a benefit that you had discussed with me prior to the show, which is if you're listening and you're working on a startup, that having a solid operation structure in place is an important part of presenting a solid business plan in order to get funding. Exactly. Uh, Back to that venture capital model. If if you're a venture capitalist, you're looking at two companies and one of them says, well, uh, you're going to invest a million dollars and they want to say, what are you going to use that money for? Well, first thing we're going to do is we're going to sign a 10-year lease for 10,000 feet of space, which we don't really need today, but we're going to have to have to grow into. And then we're going to hire a staff to support us because we're going to have to have somebody answering the phones for our customers. And then we've got to buy some furniture, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And then the next company comes in and they say, what are you going to do with the money? Say, we're going to hire, uh, we're a tech company. We're going to hire programmers and engineers and a marketing team. And they say, well, what about the office? And they say, well, we don't, need a, we don't really need an office because we're just going to do everything on a month-to-month basis uh, inside of uh, a co-working center somewhere. Okay, Which wanna, one are you going to invest in? Did you complete your thought? I sure did. I just wanted to make sure. And obviously, there's so much to talk about. I was so excited about this conversation today because there's so much depth that you're offering to entrepreneurs by illustration in talking about how you have evolved your businesses over time and then taking a closer look at your business model. So I really want to thank you so much for your generosity. No, it's my pleasure. Anything we can do to help anybody, we're always happy to do so. We didn't talk so much about the philanthropic aspect of your business, but I just wanted to mention the website, and then we can reiterate also the other websites that I shared. Allgoodwork.space offers information about an industry foundation that you created, to donate unused workspace to charitable organizations who are fulfilling particular missions like feeding or housing people and curing diseases. Is there anything else that you'd want to add about that or edit in terms of what I shared? No, I, I, I think that that's um, the, the core of what we do. What, all businesses have a social responsibility today to look at waste and to re- make sure that they're repurposing everything they have to some social good whether it's a restaurant that uh, has uh, food waste or whether it's 
a real estate company or even a corporate that has excess space. Why should charities be paying for space when there's empty space sitting around inside of organizations already? And if we can make our space, if we can contribute our space, which we do, to charitable organizations, we can help them the efficiency of their dollars to go so much further to the good that they're doing that we're, we're actually making quite a, a contribution. I'll g- give you a good example. We had the other day uh, just provided a space package to an organization called the Hope Train. And it's uh, two trains going to three trains right now that are uh, actual medical clinics. Each car is set up as a different uh, specialty. And what was very rewarding is that the group said, well, gosh, because of this space you've given us, because we don't have to spend money for space for our organization anymore, uh, we'll be able to provide 1,100 additional cataract surgeries next year. So there'll be 1,100 people next year that'll be able to see as a result of something as simple as taking a wasting asset, vacancy factor, in a series of business centers and contributing that to a group like the Hope Train. That's a pretty amazing thing when you think about it. Talk about the efficiency of your business model. In what regard? Well, in the sense that there's no waste. It's like a movement that I heard about in Japan, which is that there are all these little vendors who are selling food products that have become really popular that are from food items or scraps, what you would have considered scraps before. That would have been waste, but it's actually become a very popular movement and something that people are receptive to. And so we talk about what are the unused aspects of your business that you can offer that will strengthen the results that you're able to achieve in the community. Well, you talk about turning scrap into waste. I think the original person that did that was the first person that made sausage. Going back millennia, it's a perfect example of not wasting uh, uh, in, in the food food industry. In our in our own business, I, I think it comes down to looking at our vacancy factor, which hotels have, we have, all commercial buildings have, and most corporate uh, offices have. If you go into a major uh, global company and you look at their corporate headquarters or a large branch office, and you do a census of the desks. And you say, how many hours of how many desks that are available are used during the day? And it's going to be around 40 or 50%, no more. And then you say, well, how much space is never used at all? And it's going to be about 20%. If you look at most commercial buildings, you've got 5 to 7% vacancy factor in a good market. If you look at our industry, hey, you have 7 to 12% vacancy factor. In the hotel industry, you generally have about 25 to 30% vacancy factor. So if we can put this space, if we can put aside greed, if, if you will, for a moment, or self-focus and repurpose that space in any number of ways, we can do it for charitable organizations, we can do it for socially responsible organizations that may not be true charity, but may be socially responsible and doing good. We can do it for incubators, for startups. And this is something that a lot of the, the large tech companies are now doing. Uh, the Microsoft's a perfect example of that. They look at their space and they say, well, heck, if we're investing in companies, why not give them space as part of the investment? And we'll bring them in and let them use our infrastructure. You, you can create incubators to create new jobs. This is a, a big part of what's going on in the, in the commercial real estate industry right now. So, again, waste not, want not. 
Know your industry, and that helps you to understand what you can do strategically to avoid waste and to support productivity and business results. Well, and and when you're supporting something that does some good, uh, think of how that strengthens your community and how that causes people to not just do business, but do business for a higher purpose. And that's uh, as much of uh, a business practice as it is a calling, and it should be on on an ongoing basis. Frank, that's a beautifully put call to action for us. I want to emphasize the websites that listeners can go to to learn more about the amazing work that you're doing. You can learn more about the virtual workplace solutions that Frank's company offers to startups, entrepreneurs, and businesses of various sizes by going to alliancevirtualoffices.com. And I invite you also to check out allwork.space to stay current with news and trends about the global flexible workplace and then along the lines of philanthropy and doing good for your community allgoodwork.space offers information about options for using unused workspace anything that you want to add frank no i just want to thank you for your time and offer to your listenership that if anyone has any questions or anything uh, to give us a shout we'll be happy to help them in any way that we can Thank you so much. What's the best way to give a shout? Oh, I think just uh, reach out through any of the websites. They all have chat systems on them. That's a simple way to do it. Just say, hey, I'm looking at this or that. How can you help me? And uh, we'll, we'll be happy to, to reach back and, and do whatever we can. Thank you so much, Frank. I really appreciate that. And I'd like to add another invitation to listeners. If you have comments or unanswered questions about today's episode, I welcome you to share them by emailing me at hosthemda at gmail.com. You can also share comments and questions by following me on Twitter at Hemda Misrahi and liking us on Facebook at Life and Career Choices. Until next time, remember to make the grass greener where you are. I'm Hemda Misrahi, inviting you to turn the page. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Turn the Page. Turn the Page is sponsored in part by Life and Career Choices, Inc. Host Hemda Mizrahi invites you to email her at hosthemda at gmail.com to explore becoming a sponsor or affiliate of the show. Until next time, make one change that will benefit your life and your business.